It is the best-selling book in history. No volume ever written has been more loved and quoted. And its words, sometimes simple and sometimes mysterious, should always be studied carefully. It is the Bible, the Word of God. Welcome to Bible Answers Live, providing accurate and practical answers to all your Bible questions. This broadcast is a previously recorded episode. To receive any of the Bible resources mentioned in this broadcast, call 800-835-6747. Once again, that's 800-835-6747. Now, here's your host from Amazing Facts International, Pastor Doug Batchelor. Hello, friends. Would you like to hear an amazing fact? A tourist was finally rescued after being stranded in an airport for more than 110 days due to coronavirus travel restrictions. Roman Trofimov from Estonia was traveling from Bangkok on March 20 on Asia Airlines flight when he landed at the Manila Airport in the Philippines. Once he arrived, however, he learned he would be unable to leave the departure area as the Philippines were not issuing arrival visas due to coronavirus restrictions no exceptions. Likewise, Thailand would not allow him to return because of the pandemic. Day after day, Roman, a 36-year-old software engineer, found himself trapped by red tape in the departure zone of the airport. Sleeping on the ground and surviving on vending uh, machine snacks and food donated to him by sympathetic airport staff, the man made several desperate pleas on social media to help him get out of the airport. He said, I'm personally a man with a disability. My health is getting worse because of malnutrition, lack of sun and fresh air. He pled with his Estonian embassy, but they reportedly could not get him a repatriation flight. Finally, the Times of Israel, their Estonian branch, reached out to the foreign ministry who agreed to return Roman. Within hours, he was on a plane back home on July 7, after spending more than three months living in the airport. Have you ever felt like you are trapped in limbo or yet worse, purgatory? You might be surprised to learn what the Bible really says about these spiritual waiting rooms. Stay with us, friends. We're going to learn more on this edition of Bible Answers Live. You're listening to Bible Answers Live, accurate and practical answers to your Bible questions. Hello, friends. Welcome to Bible Answers Live. If you have a Bible question, we're not only available by phone, and that number, 800-463-7297, but you can watch what's happening on the Facebook pages. That would be the Amazing Facts Facebook page, Amazing Facts Ministry or Amazing Facts International, and the Doug Batchelor Facebook page. Once again, if you want to call in with a question, a good time to call with any question regarding the Word of God, the Bible, or living the Christian life, That number, 800, God says, 800-463-7297. And I am Doug Batchelor. My name is Jean Ross. Good evening, friends. And Pastor Doug, let's start the program with prayer. Dear Father, we thank you that we have this opportunity once again to open up your word and study together. And we ask your blessing upon this program. Be with those who are listening. And uh, we just pray that you'd guide us as we study the Bible. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, Pastor Doug, I know you've done quite a bit of traveling, and you've probably spent quite a bit of time in uh, airports waiting for flights. Uh, You know, even three hours in an airport can seem long. Uh, Sometimes even eight hours I've had to spend in an airport. Flight was delayed. But can you imagine spending 
three months in the departure area of an airport. <laughs> that would be torment. <laughs> Just, I can't imagine that. I've had to, like you, walk around airports when it's all empty and people are kind of, a few people here and there are sleeping and you're, it's, you don't have enough time to go to a hotel you don't have enough time to really get comfortable and go to sleep, and so you just wander around, and it can be really depressing. <laughs> so I, I felt so sorry for this fellow when I read that he was trapped there that long. Now, I've been in the Manila Airport, as you probably have, several times. There's not a lot of uh, entertaining things that are happening there. I think they ultimately gave him uh, a somewhat private spot, where he and they gave him a fan. You can see pictures online where he's got just a blanket on the concrete and just... Not very pleasant. Caught in limbo. And, you know, friends, maybe you've heard the term purgatory or limbo, and you've wondered, you know, is there a waiting area when people die where you could be trapped between heaven and hell? And what does the Bible say about that? Well, we've got a book that I think is going to help you, and it's uh, based on some scriptures people often misunderstand. It's uh, one of those famous passages known as The Rich Man and Lazarus. You can actually read the story recorded there in the Gospel of Luke. Folks have wondered, could this maybe be some kind of purgatory that the Bible's speaking of? Well, it's a very important passage. It's a parable that Jesus told. It's got some important lessons, but it's not talking about purgatory. And we'd like to send this to anyone who would call and ask. The book is called The Rich Man and Lazarus. And if you'd like to receive the book, the number to call for that is just our resource phone line, 800-835-6747. Again, that number is 800-835-6747. We will send the book anywhere in North America. You'll be blessed by reading it again. It's called The Rich Man and Lazarus. Call that number and ask for it, and we'll be happy to send it to you. We're going to go to the phone lines. We've got our first caller this evening is Chris listening in Florida. Chris, welcome to the program. Hey, Chris, you're on the air. Yes, thank you so much uh, for taking my phone again. I call again. Uh, pastors, I, I have a, a general question about what's the difference between uh, uh, those that uh, were predestined, meaning, uh, and, uh, and those, uh, the chosen ones. Well, why do you think there's a difference? Because those that were, are predestined, were predestined, some of them, uh, will end up in heaven, some of them in, in this uh, eternal fire. Is it correct? No, I don't think anybody has been predestined by God to be created and burned. The Bible tells us that God is not willing that any should perish. God, through his providence, has provided means where every believer can be saved. That's why he says, whosoever will. God did not create people to be destroyed. It's the Lord doesn't want to see anyone perish. It says God who would have all men be saved. God is not willing that any should perish. And, uh, you know, we, we have a book that talks about predestination. We can send you. And, and so the, you know, the chosen, when God chose the children of Israel, they, he wanted them to all make it to the promised land, but because of their lack of faith, they didn't, you know, first generation, many didn't, but those who believed like Joshua and Caleb, they did. And so we can choose to believe. But for example, the chosen ones, uh, even believers, not everybody will end up in heaven. Is it correct? It's true that not everybody that claims to be a Christian will end up in heaven. That's not because God has predetermined that they should be destroyed. I think God wants everybody to be saved. You know, God is love and, and nothing can separate us from the love of God. And, you know, when the 
children of the northern kingdom, Ephraim, when they turned away from God, God says, how can I give you up? He didn't want them to be lost. Uh, the Lord says, turn ye, and this is Ezekiel 18, I think, turn ye, turn ye, why will you die? Yeah, God is pleading with the lost to trust him and to come to him. He, he's not wanting anyone to be lost, and he hasn't chosen that any should be lost. What is the booklet, Pastor? Yeah, it's a book that will give you on can a saved man choose to be lost. And if you'd like to receive that, Chris, the number to call is uh, 800-835-6747. And as for the book, Can a Saved Man Choose to be Lost? Again, that number is 800-835-6747. And of course, this is not only for Chris, but for anyone who would like to receive the book. Call the number, ask for it. We'll be happy to send it to you. We've got Jerry listening from uh, Michigan. Jerry, welcome to the program. Hello, can you hear me? Loud and clear. Great. I live off grid, and uh, I don't get very good phone reception, so I hope you can hear me. <laughs> yeah, we hear you good. Okay. My question is this, um, when Jesus was alone in the Garden of Gethsemane praying to uh, his father uh -huh. and, sweat, and sweating drops of blood, how did the writers of the Bible know what happened to him and what he was saying when all the disciples were asleep? Yeah, well, keep in mind that Jesus, well, two things. One, they may have overheard because several times he woke them up and they eventually drifted to sleep. You know, Peter, James, and John, he invited them to go with him as he went deeper into the garden. He went a little further beyond them, but they may have heard him praying because he was praying in agony and probably loud. And the other thing is after Jesus rose from the dead, he talked to them on many occasions and he may have, you know, rehearsed what happened that night in the garden when he was betrayed. Through divine inspiration, God can give a prophet a vision of what happened. That makes sense, Jerry? Yes, it sure does. Thanks very much. Uh, you're the, you're, uh, Strong Tower Radio is the only station I get way up here in the northern Upper Peninsula, so I really thank you for your program and for answering my question. Right? Well, praise the Lord. Yeah, we're good friends with Strong Tower Radio, and I didn't know there was a Paradise, Michigan. We got a Paradise, California, too. At least we did. Next caller that we have is uh, Reason listening in North Carolina. Reason, welcome again to Bible Answers Live. Hi, Pastors. Thanks a lot. Uh, my question is, uh, out of the new King James Version, I mean, it's probably the same in the King James, it's uh, 2 Kings 18.4. And in this uh, verse, well, you can read it if you want to, but in the verse, uh, these people started worshiping the bronze serpent that Moses made, and Hezekiah comes to the throne, and he has all this stuff torn up and broken down. I don't think the people were doing it maliciously. I think they thought they were doing a service to maybe the Messiah that was to come. I don't know. But either way, they decided, or it looks like to me, they were determined to worship God uh, in the way that they wanted to rather than the way that he told them to. Am I seeing this correctly in this verse is what I need to know. Yeah, just for our friends that are listening, when Moses was going through the wilderness and Jesus refers to this story in John chapter 3, the people were bitten by serpents. They had been complaining about the manna that God had given them and, and the Lord withdrew his protection and just a plague of not only serpents, these are venomous serpents, just began to swarm out. And this happens every now and then in the spring. They, they, they all hatch out at the same time. And many of the people were bitten and they're dying. And there's just a whole plague. Thousands, I think, were dying. And God told Moses to have uh, one of the artisans in the camp make a bronze serpent. 
and put it on a staff, a pole, and hold it up. And it says, whoever looks will be healed of the venom. Now, this was a one-time event that was, it was to be a symbol teaching that if people would look in faith to God, that he would destroy the power of the serpent. Filled with meaning for the Christian. And let me just throw something in here for you. Um, I've got a book that will send you a free copy. It's called The Savior and the Serpent. And it talks about John 3.16. It talks about Hezekiah. During the time of Hezekiah, hundreds of years after Moses, more than a thousand years after Moses, I think, the people had made an idol out of this serpent that was still in the sanctuary and they were praying to it because they thought it had some special power. And Hezekiah recognized that that was never God's intention that they should make an idol out of anything. Breaks one of the second commandments. One of the ten, it's the second commandment. And he had it broken to pieces and called it, I think, Narashtan, which means a thing of brass. It's just a piece of brass. I don't know that the people understood the significance of what it had been symbolized in the time of Moses. But we'll send you that book called The Savior and the Serpent uh, Reasoner, and I think you'll be blessed by that. The number to call is 800-835-6747. Again, that is the resource phone line. And the book is called The Savior and the Serpent. We'll send it out to anyone who calls and asks. Again, 800-835-6747. We've got uh, Claudio listening from Miami, Florida. Claudio, welcome to the program. Hi. Um, good evening. Evening. And your question Oh, okay. I I, took, I think they put it in the computer, but I'm going to try to remember. My question was... Uh, About the pandemic? Yeah, I see that they put some notes here. We usually let people go ahead and say their question, too. But it says that you've got a question about the pandemic. Does it have anything to do with Rome and the Kingdom of Spain? Uh, well, what I want to know more, I don't know if it's regarding on the Bible or not, because it's part of the prophecy in Babylon, too. Uh huh. But more, more about the disgrace that we're living right now. I wanted to know what would be the best case to not getting seen when we're about to be in more pandemics. Hopefully, no. I don't know. So, in the Bible, where I can like uh, hold on to it, to own it. That good question. There. First of all, Jesus did say that you know there's going to be pestilence in the last days, and this plague is certainly a sign of this. It is certainly not one of the worst pestilence that we've had. I mean. We're not exactly seeing the Black Death where one out of three people died. Uh, neither are we seeing the terrible pandemic of the Spanish influenza of 1918. And there will be other plagues, and plagues may not always be a virus. Uh, you know, anything that can bring kind of mass dying from disease is a plague. But there's a promise in Psalm 91 where it said that neither will any plague come near your dwelling. So I would recommend you read the promises that God has in Psalm 91 I think you'll find that very encouraging. You know, I was looking, Pastor Ross, as we were going through, I was kind of reorganizing some of the free offers that Amazing Facts has. Joe Cruz has a book that talks about when the brook dries up, that offers just, you know, some encouragement during difficult times. And we'll be happy to send that to anyone who would like some encouragement. What does the Bible have to say about difficult times? And it's called When the Brook Dried Up. And again, the number to call for that is just our resource phone line, 800 835-6747 and ask for the book called When the Brook Dried Up, 800-835-6747. Did you know Amazing Facts has a free Bible school that you can do from the comfort of your own home? It includes 27 beautifully illustrated study lessons to aid in your study of God's Word. Sign up today for this free Bible study course by calling 1-844-215-7000. That's 1-844-215-7000. 
An international pandemic killing thousands, riots ripping communities apart, a global economic implosion. Many are wondering, is this the end of the world? Few question the military, economic, and technological might of the United States. So if we really are facing the last days, if these worldwide catastrophes are really harbingers of the end, shouldn't we expect the United States to play a key role in the final events of Bible prophecy? The book of Revelation provides unmistakable clues. And to help you understand them, Amazing Facts is releasing America in Bible Prophecy. It's going to take you step by step in identifying the global forces at work in these last days. You might be surprised what the Bible really says. You owe it to yourself to find out. So get yourself a copy of America in Bible Prophecy. Visit afbookstore.com or call 1-800-538-7275. You're listening to Bible Answers Live. This broadcast is a previously recorded episode. If you'd like answers to your Bible-related questions on the air, please call us next Sunday between 7 p.m. and 8 p.m. Pacific Time. Call us at 1-800-GOD-SAYS. We've got Sarah, actually Ethan, rather, listening from Texas. Ethan, welcome to the program. Hi. Hi, Ethan. How old are you? Five. You're five. Well, I'm so thankful you called. What is your question tonight? My question is, why did the Romans kill Jesus? Well, you know, the Romans didn't especially, they didn't especially hate Jesus, but they were running the government, and some of Jesus' enemies that were some of the religious leaders, they were jealous, and they said that Jesus was making himself a king instead of Caesar, and that he was going to start a rebellion, and, and the Roman governor, Pontius Pilate, he thought, well, to satisfy the, the Jews and to prevent a rebellion, he should go ahead and execute Jesus. Even Jesus said Judas and the priests who delivered Jesus to the Romans had the greater sin. They were more guilty than even the Romans. In fact, when Jesus died on the cross, one of the Roman soldiers there by the cross looked at Jesus and said, surely this was the Son of God. So we're going to probably see some of them in heaven. That's a great question. Thanks so much, Ethan. Does that help? Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you for calling. Thanks. All right. Next call that we have is uh, Ruben listening from Oxnard, California. Ruben, welcome to the program. Hello. Good evening, Pastor. Evening. Um, my question is, what does what does the altar of the in the I'm sorry, what what does the four horns of the altar of the incense represent or symbolize? Yeah, well, the number four in the Bible typically represents something that is universal. Uh, you know, Jesus said he'll send his angels to the four corners of the earth. That means north, south, east, and west. And then you look in Revelation, I think it's chapter seven, where it talks about the four angels are holding back the four winds of strife so they do not blow upon the earth. That means it's something, a universal trouble. Well, the four horns of the altar mean that salvation of Jesus' sacrifice, because the altar is where the sacrifice was burnt, is meant for all of the world. Can you hear us, Ruben? We're getting a little background noise. Um, yeah, no, yes, yes, I can, I, can, I can hear you well. So does that help or make sense? Yes, it does. It really does. All right. Hey, well, thank you so much for your call. We sure appreciate it. God bless you. Next caller that we have is Ginger listening, California. 
Ginger, welcome to the program. Hi. Hi, thanks for calling. Well, my question is, what is the difference between having, like, having faith and having presumption, you know, uh, what's the difference? If I pray or if I, you know, and I have faith, but is that presumption that I know it's going to happen or just having faith and that's going to happen? You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, no, that's a good question. You know, if, if faith is going to be based upon a promise of God and the, the definitive leading of the Spirit, when a person says, you know, I think I'm going to jump in front of a car and believe an angel is going to save me, that's presumption. You know, when you start tempting the Lord, like when the devil told Jesus, jump off the temple and the angels will catch you, that's presumption. If you start spending your money carelessly and say, well, I'm just going to have faith God's going to give me more money or help me win the lottery, that's presumption. You know, God wants us to use common sense. Now, faith is going to be, you're going to find a promise in the Bible, and there'll usually be some criteria to connect with that promise and and believe that uh, as you follow those criteria, God is going to honor, you have faith that he's going to honor his word and his promises. Okay. So does that make sense? Yes, it does. It does. Yeah. Because I was having a hard time with that. I wasn't sure, you know, if I have faith as I pray or as I, you know, that something will happen or I take God's promises, um, am I presuming that this will happen or or not? I'll tell you what, I've got a book I'm going to send you. If you call the resource line, we don't give this out to everybody, but if you call the resource line, I've got a book called Who Do You Think You Are? And it's about faith. Who do you think you are? You call and you can tell them I said I'd send you a free copy of that. I think that'll encourage you. It's all about faith. The number to call for that is 800-835-6747. And again, you can ask for the book called Who Do You Think You Are? 800-835-6747. Uh, Esther is listening in California. Esther, welcome to the program. Esther, you there? Esther might be on mute. Uh, we just had a call drop there. We have Deanna listening in Texas. Deanna, welcome to the program. Hello, pastors. Hi. How are you? Good. Thank you for calling. Um, I do have a question. It is, um, I have a grandson that's autistic, and then my husband has some problems, too. He's like... Uh, an anger disorder, uh, OCD, uh, some other problems, and does have a great heart for God, my husband does. I mean, he is like, you know, he just loves the Lord with all his heart. And I'm wondering uh, if people like them make their way into heaven. Well, the good news is God is a loving God. He's fair. He's a just God. And God will never ask us to be or to do something that is impossible for us to be or to do without his grace. If someone has a mental handicap of some sort and they can't, you know, they're they're doing all they can humanly do uh, with God's power to, to live the life. But because of some medical problem or chemical problem, you know, God's going to judge them fairly. You know, God will not expect a person who is born with a severe mental handicap to understand the gospel the way someone else might. Jesus said, to whom much is given, much is required. And those who don't have much to work with, you know, he's he's very gracious with them. So does that make sense? Yes, thank you very much. <laughs> okay. 
Hey, God bless. Thank you for calling, Deanna. You know, we do have a book, Pastor Doug, entitled The Riches of His Grace. Mm -hmm. And it talks about God's grace and His goodness. And we'll send this to anyone who calls and asks. Deanna, you might want to call and ask for it. Uh, The number is 800-835-6747. And again, you can just ask for the book called The Riches of His Grace. And we'll be happy to put that in the mail and send it to anyone who calls and asks. We've got Jim listening in Indiana. Jim, welcome to the program. Oh, it's been a while since I talked to you. (laughs) Well, welcome. You're on the air. Um, I was just wondering, the two witnesses um, in chapter 11 in Revelations, uh-huh. um, are they to be taken literally? I mean... No. Short answer, <laughs> but I'll give you more detail. When it talks about these two witnesses that are going to be killed and their bodies will lie in the street and and after three days, some people think that Moses and Elijah are going to come down from heaven, you know, they now have eternal life, they get glorified bodies, that they're going to be killed and their mutilated bodies will lay in the street for three days and then they're going to be resurrected. Revelation is full of symbols. These two witnesses are symbolized by Moses and Elijah. They are the law and the prophets, the word of God, the new and the old testament. You know, the law is written on two stones. The Bible is called a sword with two edges. There's a dual nature there to the word of God. So these are the two witnesses that during a unique time in history, and I'm wondering what book or lesson we have that talks about that. You know, we have a book called The Two Witnesses. Oh, yeah, there you go. Which goes into this passage in, in a lot more detail. And uh, we'll be happy to send this to uh, to you, Jim, or anyone who would like to learn more about Revelation chapter 11. What does it say about the two witnesses? The number to call is 800-835-6747. Again, 800-835-6747. And you can ask for the book called The Two Witnesses. And we'll be happy to send that to anyone. It's just a really important, fascinating study. A lot of good information talking about Moses and Elijah. You know, some people, Pastor Doug, might be surprised to, they get the book, they might be surprised to hear that not only did Elijah go to heaven, we know Elijah went without seeing death, but Moses was resurrected and taken to heaven, and he appears with Jesus in the Mount of Transfiguration that you can read about as well. So all of that's in the book. All of the Bible verses are there, and uh, whoever gets it, I think you'll enjoy reading it. I hope that helps a little bit. You know, just before we go to the break, Pastor Ross, there's something we would like to mention. We are coming into, yes, friends, another election season. There's a lot going on in the in the world, in the country, everything from the gyrating economy to the surging off and on of the pandemic and various freedoms that go along with that. And there's a lot of social unrest And we're in the middle of a very polarizing election season. And people sometimes call and say, Pastor Doug, what does the Bible say about Christians and voting? Is it a lack of faith to vote? Is it required that you vote? Are there some scriptures on this? And, you know, we just thought it was important to give a little biblical perspective because in North America, once every two years, there's some kind of election, presidential election every four years and some kind of congressional elections every couple of years. So we have a book that we would like to send you, friends. It's called Should a Christian Vote? Should a Christian Vote? If you'd like, and this is if you want a single copy, we'll send it to you for free. If you want some to share, then you can get more information by calling the Amazing Facts office. We think you'll find this a balanced perspective, and it will be a blessing. You can contact the Amazing Facts website for that. You hear the music. We have more questions coming. We'll be back in just a few moments. Stay tuned. Bible Answers Live will return shortly. 
Batchelor was the teenage son of a millionaire father and show business mother, yet he was living in a cave. He had everything money could buy, everything but happiness. But all of the fun and excitement he enjoyed left his life out of control. His search eventually led him to a cave above Palm Springs that became his home. While Doug scavenged for food in garbage bins, his father owned a yacht, a Learjet, and an airline. But in his cave home, he discovered a dust-covered Bible. As he began to read, he soon learned of his true purpose in life. The Richest Caveman is the extraordinary true story of Doug Batchelor that tells how a rebellious teenager who once lived in a cave became a tremendous soul winner for Jesus Christ. It's a thrilling testimony of the transforming power of God's Word. To order your copy of The Richest Caveman, call 800-538-7275 or visit afbookstore.com. Millions of people believe that planet Earth is on the verge of some apocalypse that will plunge the world's cities into chaos. In response, thinking people everywhere are wondering if it might be a good time to locate their families outside of the congested metropolitan areas. In my new book, Heading for the Hills, A Beginner's Guide to Country Living, I do my best to provide a biblical balance. I'd like to share with you some of the crucial things you'll need to know before you head up for the hills. I'd also like to identify some of the practical things you look for in buying a piece of country land, how to develop water, power, and a garden, all while still seeking to save the lost. This book has some very valuable information for anybody that's ever considering country living. Order your copy of Heading for the Hills. Call 800-538-7275 or visit afbookstore.com. You're listening to Bible Answers Live, where every question answered provides a clearer picture of God and His plan to save you. So what are you waiting for? Get practical answers about the good book for a better life today. This broadcast is a previously recorded episode. If you'd like answers to your Bible-related questions on the air, please call us next Sunday between 7 p.m. and 8 p.m. Pacific Time. To receive any of the Bible resources mentioned in this evening's program, call 800-835-6747. Once again, that's 800-835-6747. Now, let's rejoin our hosts for more Bible Answers Live. We are back, friends, and if you've tuned in somewhere along the way, this is Bible Answers Live, and you can call in from anywhere in the world with a Bible question. We will do our best with the Bible resources at our fingertips to give you a biblical answer. And we're all about glorifying the Word of God. If you want to call, 800-GOD-SAYS, 800-463-7297. And once again, we are streaming on the Amazing Facts Facebook page. My name is Doug Batchelor. My name is Jean Ross, and before the break, we were going to hear from Esther, Esther in California. Esther, welcome to the program. Can you hear me? Loud and clear. Oh, good. Um, I have a silly question. I've been wanting to do some home repairs, but seeing how we're living in these times now and even some stores not accepting cash anymore, should I continue with my projects or just, just let it go? Well, you know, that's a great question. Jesus said, and Pastor Ross might look it up for me, where he said, occupy till I come. Uh, Jesus, in one of his parables about distributing the talents to his disciples, he told them 
to occupy till he comes. Meaning that if you need to buy, sell, trade, since we don't know the day or the hour of his coming, I think every Christian needs to live like this could be our last day when it comes to our spiritual health. But I think we need to work and plan like we might be here a thousand years when it comes to thinking ahead. I would say, you know, if you've got the means and if just um, suppose that you were going to be here another 20 years, would you do the improvements? A lot of people during World War I thought this was the end of the world and they just let their houses fall apart. And then after the war, they said, oh, maybe we better fix them. You know, the parable I think you're referring to, I'm looking at the New King James, that words are a little different. It says, uh, do business till I come. Right. It's Luke chapter 19, verse 13. So uh, I think God wants us to be wise stewards. If we can do something to increase the value of our property, well, it's probably good to do so. Uh, the Lord might call us at some point to liquidate what we have and maybe put it more into evangelism or gospel preaching. But until, you know, God guides us, uh, we should be wise stewards. I, I don't know that I'd get involved in uh, some ornate repairs. Uh, does that help, Esther? It sure does. It puts my, my heart at ease because I was so conflicted. Thank you so much. All righty. God bless. I hope we gave you the right advice. <laughs> <laughs> We've got Virginia listening in Kentucky. Virginia, welcome to the program. Hello. Hi, Virginia. You're on the air. Hi, Pastor. How are you? Good. How are you? Good. Pastor, I have a question. What is going to be the outcome of those individuals who committed suicide? You know, I don't think there's one answer for that. Because I do think that there are varying circumstances. Now, what I mean by that is I do think in most cases, not in all cases, but in many cases, when a person commits suicide, they have reached a state of hopelessness. And often that's connected with faithlessness. And without faith, it's impossible to please God. Again, I want to mention that some people get just tired of life. They're tired of suffering and they say, you know, I'm just going to end it all. But, you know, we're, we're made in God's image. We're God's property and killing murder is a sin. And that would include self-murder. Now, having said that, and the reason I, I have to answer this question with two perspectives, we get calls every now and then from some young person that's discouraged and they want to know, can I kill myself and go to heaven? They're thinking of killing themselves. I say, absolutely don't. Because if you could think that you're going to kill yourself and you're going to make your life easier, in most cases when people commit suicide, their next conscious thought is being raised in a permanently bad situation. There is no more hope. But when you're alive, the Bible says, where there is life, there is hope. A living dog is better than a dead lion. But having said all that, then there are some people who have loved ones that have committed suicide and they're going, is there any hope that they might be saved? Well, yes, there is. God looks on the heart and there are some people who maybe they were going through severe pain. Pastor Ross and I had a member years ago that godly person, but they went through some disease where they just were not thinking clearly and they nearly tried to kill themselves. And then they realized later what had happened, but they weren't in the right mind and they were in so much pain. And God will judge a person not on the last moment of their life, but the, the, the tenor of their life. Some people may uh, try to kill themselves and then they repent of it before they actually die. And, you know, God is merciful. So we've got to be very careful about judging even Samson. He knew very well when he pushed down the building, he was going to die. He said his last words were, let me die with the Philistines. But Samson's going to be in heaven because it was a little more like a sacrifice than a suicide. So I don't know if this is helping Virginia, but I, I so it varies with every individual. 
Does that make sense? So we cannot say that if a person committed suicide, they are not going to go to heaven. We can't say that. I think we've got to be careful not to say it as an absolute. Okay, okay. I think in most cases, as I said, it indicates, you know, this week, some policeman quartered a murderer, so he shot himself. Yeah, I don't think there's a lot of hope for people in those circumstances. But uh, some people, you don't know, it could be mental illness, and we've got to be careful not to judge. Hey, thanks so much. We need to do a little sermon book on that because we get that question a lot. We do. We've got Sally listening in Illinois. Sally, welcome to the program. Hi. Hi, Sally. And how can we help you tonight? What's your question? My old friend, she got arrested and went to prison, jail, or whatever. And I'd like to know how I'll be able to pray for her. Well... That's a great that's a great question because the good news is you may not be able to be with her. If you can visit, good. If you can write a letter, good. But God is with this person. And, you know, there's a lot of people that get converted in, in jail. Pastor Doug was not always a Christian. I was in jail uh, seven different times, not visiting people. So I know it can get pretty lonely, and you're really thankful if someone comes to visit. Pray that God will bring her comfort because God can send angels to be with your friend to comfort them. And write, write a note. They'll let the mail go through, usually. Hold them up before the Lord, and then tell them you're praying for them. Does that help, Sally? Yes, thank you. Okay, thank you for your call. And, you know, some prisons will let you bring in Christian literature, so you might send or bring in um, something for them to read because you get really... I know a lot of people who have read their way to Jesus while in jail. All right, next caller that we have. Thank you, Sally. We've got Michael listening in Michigan. Michael, welcome to the program. Yeah, thank you for taking my call. My question is this. In the Old Testament, in the book of Joshua, after the defeat of Ai, the Lord tells Joshua that he will no longer be with Israel unless he seeks out this accursed thing and removes it from the camp. Of course, they cast lots, and it lands on Achan, and he confesses his sin. So my question is, why were his sons and daughters included in the death sentence, his punishment? And what is the implication of that? for our churches today, how we handle sin in the church? Yeah, very good question. You know, there's, it's not explicitly stated, but it's understood by most scholars that he hid the gold and the garment, the Babylonian garment and the silver. He hid it under a carpet in his tent and that his family were accomplices to what he had done. The family had heard the very clear command of Joshua of the Lord not to take any of the spoils of Jericho. It was all to be consecrated to God. So he had not only stolen, but he'd stolen from God and his family was privy to it. And so he actually, he engendered the guilt in his whole family and they were all punished. His whole household that was aware of it was punished. That doesn't mean he had little children, but that's what I have understood. Yeah. And you know, you wonder if he waited until he's actually caught. Yeah, he wasn't repenting because he was sorry. He was repenting because he was busted. If he would have come forward earlier than that and said, you know, I'm sorry, I made a mistake, here it is, but he waited until the very last moment. He repented like Judas when he went out and hung himself. It was a little too late. Yeah, or like the Pharaoh. All right, well, thank you, Michael. Good question. We've got Thomas listening in Arizona. Thomas, welcome to the program. Hi, Pastor Doug and Pastor Ross. How are you doing? Doing well. We like studying the Bible. And your question? I was... um. I was discussing with a friend the other day um, the book of Zechariah mm-hmm. and um, chapter 13 and particularly verse 6. Okay. Um, my, my friend seems to be under the impression that this is talking about Jesus and believes that this is indicating that Jesus 
is actually not the Messiah or is a false prophet. Um, I don't necessarily agree with that, but I would really appreciate your interpretations of what this means. All right, well, let me read the verse for our friends that are listening. And I'm going to start with verse so four. And this is Zechariah 13, verse four. And it shall be in that day that every prophet will be ashamed of his vision when he prophesies, and they'll not wear a robe of coarse hair to deceive. You keep in mind, Elijah, like John the Baptist, they wore camel's skin, and it was kind of typical of some of the prophets back then. But he'll say, I am no prophet, I am a farmer, for a man taught me to keep cattle from my youth. And one will say to him, what are these wounds between your arms? And he'll answer, those with which I was wounded in the house of my friends. And the word between your arms there also means hands. And he's going to say, these are the wounds I received in the house of my friends. Jesus is, of course, a prime example. He is a prophet, and he was wounded by his own people, betrayed by one of his own apostles. Most scholars, I don't know of any that don't believe that this is a prophecy, a very clear messianic prophecy. And I think even if you read the next verse, verse 7 makes it even clearer. It says, Awake, O sword, against my shepherd, against the man who is my companion, says the Lord of hosts. Strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. Mm -hmm. And of course, that was a reference that Jesus made. He actually quoted this verse when talking to his disciples uh, in the upper room there before his betrayal. So even Jesus likened this verse, the fulfillment of this verse to himself. Yeah, he quotes this in uh, Matthew twenty six thirty one. also. Christ himself points back to Zechariah, and he's a pretty good Bible expositor, so I would think that that's good evidence. This is a prophecy about what happened to Christ. Now, your friend thinks that this is proof that Jesus is a false Messiah? Yes, sir, because the wording prior to that seems to be indicating something about indicating that the prophet the prophet would be a liar because um, it says you shall not live because you have spoken lies in the name of the lord um, that's referencing verse three mm -hmm. well i think that the the subject matter and the person being addressed is changing even in the passage uh, zachariah is talking about true and false prophets all through his letter and you'll you'll find that some of these apocalyptic prophets like zachariah and ezekiel even revelation it very quickly jumps from subject to subject. Isaiah does that. Isaiah starts out prophesying about the king of Tyre, and then in one verse he jumps over and talks about the devil who is behind the king of Tyre. I hope that helps a little, Thomas. And, you know, if you look in, even online, you look at some of the Bible commentators on that, some of these great Protestant commentators, they've got great explanations on these things, but I think almost all of them agree this is a messianic prophecy. All right, next caller that we have is Jack listening from Las Vegas. Jack, welcome to the program. Praise the Lord. This is awesome. Thank you guys for taking my call. Thank you so much. Thank you. And your question tonight. Um, well, just real quick, Pastor Doug, I've been listening to you on Amazing Facts. Just a quick testimony. I've been, I was a, oh gosh, I was a drunk, homeless, the worst, the worst person you could possibly imagine. I happened upon uh, Amazing Facts one Sunday morning four years ago. You've changed my life in so much that I'm ministering now to people. And so I've been really enthused about this new quarterly about witnessing. I've been watching all of the sermons and I'm, I'm really enthused. So my question is, I'm, I'm uh, ministering to a gentleman right now. And this is pretty much, yes, I won't call it a roadblock because I feel like I have a pretty good way of getting around it, but I'm um, not getting around it. But I preach Daniel 2. 
because I, I bought the teaching tool, the, uh, the statue of Nebuchadnezzar, which, by the way, is amazing. I love it, and everybody is always struck by it. Then I preach Daniel 9, because I think it's important to know why Jesus is our Messiah, right? What's the next step? What, what's the next slam dunk? Where can I go next? Because they're always excited about Daniel 9, you know, as you were and I am. Where do I go next? Well, I can't speak. Pastor Ross might have an idea, but I would, if you haven't done it yet, and you're talking about the, the coming of the Lord, go to Matthew 24 and continue the theme that, because Matthew 24 gives you more detail about even the days we're living in now. Gospel going into all the world, and then the end will come. Yes. Okay, yeah, that's all in there. So what, I guess, suppose next the, from that? <laughs> yeah, I agree. Matthew, Matthew 24 is great. I am going to just, so you guys know, I'm in the process of signing up for AFCO. I'm so enthused about spreading your guys' message, and I'm going to sign up for the programs, and I'm very, very excited about it. And I just want you guys to know that you've changed my life, and it's, it's really touching to think that the thoughts that I used to think and the things that I think now, it's just, it's incredible. The Lord's given you a new heart. Amen. Yes, sir. Well, that's why we do it, Jack. We sure appreciate your testimony tonight. And for our friends who are listening, you might be wondering what Jack's talking about, AFCO. AFCO is the Amazing Facts Center of Evangelism. We do teaching. Right now it's all online, but we've actually been doing online for several years. So it wasn't just because of the pandemic. But we teach principles of soul winning, Bible study, witnessing, so people can do mission work, evangelism, Bible work. And it's a very popular program. You can just go to afco.org or com or both. Either one. I think both will get you there. Or you go to the Amazing Facts website, click on the tab that says training, and you can take a look at what the different courses are uh, if you'd like to study more. I think during the pandemic, we're actually offering a special. We're kind of doing a two for one to get people in it. That's right. And we've got a great group of students that are actually going through the program. AFCOE.com. Does your heart burn for a better purpose? Do you yearn to do more with your faith? Do you desire to be a powerful witness, a blaze for Jesus Christ? Where do you start? Make your first step at AFCO, the Amazing Facts Center of Evangelism. Here at AFCO, I've learned so many things and my spiritual growth has just skyrocketed. AFCO has distilled 50 years of Amazing Facts evangelistic expertise into a dynamic, professional, and educational experience that transforms the nervous Christian into a prepared and bold witness. AFCO is really about learning while doing. It's a one-of-a-kind experience for those who are serious about entering gospel ministry and those who simply want to make an impact in their local churches and communities. Go to AFCO.org today and explore this life-changing program. AFCO, equipping soul winners, setting the world ablaze for God. For life-changing Christian resources, visit AFBookstore.com. You're listening to Bible Answers Live. This broadcast is a previously recorded episode. If you'd like answers to your Bible-related questions on the air, please call us next Sunday between 7 p.m. and 8 p.m. Pacific Time. Call us at 1-800-GOD-SAYS. Next caller that we have, we've got Michael listening in Wisconsin. Michael, welcome to the program. Hello. Um, Hi. Thank you guys for having me on. Um, I uh, My question is, um, how do you... Because like, I've talked to a lot of people about, you know, um, you know, my faith from, you know, not just different Christian backgrounds, but from, you know, different backgrounds, you know, outside of Christianity. 
And when you're looking at people who believe in like different gods, you know, who, you know, come from, you know, the backgrounds of faith that aren't, that aren't, you know, with the Bible and things like that. Like, how do you show people or tell people, because I want to tell people, you know, that, that Jesus is the real God, the true God. How do you show someone who, you know, believes in another God um, that our God is, you know, the one true God? Good question. You know, and that every, I think every Christian needs to have an answer for that question. When you're witnessing to people that aren't Christians about the truth and the word of God, how do you approach them? You know, suppose they come from a Muslim background or Buddhist or Hindu background and, you know, for them, the Bible, they don't know the Bible. Well, how are you going to reach them? You know, one of the first things you need to do is establish faith in the Bible. If you can prove to them that the Bible is a supernatural book in the way that it, it has prophecies that were written, very specific prophecies written hundreds, if not thousands of years before the event occurs. And then this very specific event occurs. People are going to begin to recognize, wow, this book is extraordinary. It's not normal. And Jesus said, the words I speak are spirit and life. And as they develop confidence in the Bible, if you can have a little time to show them some of these scriptures, then their faith in everything else the Bible says is built. And you can then give them studies on other principles and who Jesus is. Now, Amazing Facts just completed a DVD that talks about how you can know the Bible is true. It has about 39 or 40 prophecies that prove the Bible is true. And it's called Kingdoms in Time. In fact, uh, anyone out there, you can go to the uh, Kingdoms in Time website, or you can go to even, I think it's on Amazon Prime. Is now <laughs> We're really excited that Amazon picked up a movie we produced. Amazon Prime, it's on uh, Pure Flix, the Christian movie network. They're carrying it. That'd be a great way to get those prophecies. And I think we just produced the magazine. Mm -hmm. Just coming out. So again, it's a good question. I think, as Pastor Doug mentioned, the starting point is to help them recognize that the Bible is a unique book. And it's unique in that it's inspired by God. It can reveal prophecy. It can reveal the future. And that sets the Bible apart from all other religious books or, or other writings. So that would be a good starting point. Thanks for your call, Michael. Next caller that we have is Renato listening in California. Renato, welcome to the program. Oh, thank you, Pastor. Thanks for calling. Oh, very much welcome. This is my pleasure, Pastor. <laughs> so my question, Pastor, is about the the Genesis creation? Yes. And uh, after the flood, it's kind of, since uh, Adam and Eve, as said in the Bible, is uh, the first couple. So obviously, that's like a, like a marriage within the family. Isn't it, Pastor? Yeah, that's true. So, mm -hmm, so but nowadays, we call that incest. Right. So why, why was it wrong? Why is it wrong now? for marrying your your sister or your stepsister or anyone that's a close relative but it was okay back in the beginning now think about it when god made adam and eve technically they had the same parents god well, adam married a sister matter of fact it's even weirder than that she came from his side and then cain and abel and and seth never says abel marries i don't know if he lived long enough but seth and cain they married their sisters by the time you get to Abraham, he married his half-sister. And then by the time you get to Jacob, he married his first cousin. Isaac married his first cousin. 
And by the time of Moses, they realized, you know, if you continue to intermarry, you can have genetic problems. And that was the main reason God said, do not look upon the nakedness of your sister. They were not to marry within the family. So even probably before the time of Moses, they realized that it's, it was healthier to have a strong gene pool. And, you know, they were a nation of shepherds. They understood how breeding worked. That if, if you bred too much in the same group, you end up with genetic weaknesses. And when man was perfect, as God made him, that wasn't so much of a problem, Ronaldo. But as time went by, it was. We have time for maybe one more question, Pastor Ross. Yeah, we got Lawrence listening in Illinois. Lawrence, welcome to the program. Thank you. Yeah. And your question. Uh, my question is, uh, whenever Jesus was uh, talking with his disciples before he went uh, to die for us on the cross, he, he uh, was transfigured in front of his apostles. And during that time, whenever he was transfigured, it talks about Moses and Elijah was uh, seen next to him. Uh, how did the apostles know that that was Moses and Elijah without actually ever meeting or seeing them? Yeah, good question. If they'd never seen any pictures or video, how'd they know it was Moses and Elijah? When you read the story in Mark, it says they appeared. When you read it in Luke, it says they appeared and they spoke with him. And so we can assume that Jesus addressed them by name. And they understood. And also, you know, when you're in a heavenly vision like that, God gives you supernatural discernment because you're just surrounded by the Holy Spirit and angels and God himself spoke to them. And Moses and Elijah were speaking with him concerning his sacrifice he would accomplish. You know, I've got a book I'll be happy to send you. No, we mentioned earlier tonight and it's called The Glorious Mount of the Two Witnesses. And we'll be happy to send you a free copy. It's all about that story. The number to call for that is 800-835-6747. And again, just ask for the book called The Two Witnesses. We'll be happy to send that to anyone who calls and asks. One more question and real quick. All right. We've got Ali's listening from San Bernardino, California. Ali, welcome to the program. Hi. Good evening. Evening. Yes. Um, my question is, is there a way that you can explain Trinity in a simple way to a person who doesn't believe in saying that there's one God, even if it's Trinity? I'll try. Uh, first, I want to tell you that we'll send you a book on it, and it's called uh, One God or Three, Understanding the Trinity. Secondly, try to, depending on their level of understanding, you might explain that you can have one family. Now, in the one bachelor family right now in the house, because our son came home from college, we've got father, mother, son. So there's three of us. We are the bachelor family. Think of God not as a term that would describe a one person. See, Jesus said a man leaves his father and mother, cleaves to his wife, and he and his wife become one. So in the Hebrew mind, one wasn't always talking about numerical numbers. It was talking about unity. A man and woman become one. Jesus said to the apostles in John 17, he said, Father, I pray they may be one as you and I are one. Well, there were 12 apostles, but he wanted them to be united. God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are one. Moses said, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one God. The uh, other nations worship gods that were always fighting and bickering among themselves. But the Israelites have a perfectly united God. In the beginning, God said, Let us make man in our image. So the plural nature of God is seen right there in the first book of the Bible. And it's seen all the way at the end where it says, The Spirit and the Bride say, Come. 
ask for that book on the Trinity. If you'd like to receive it, the number to call is 800-835-6747. And again, the book is just called The Trinity, One God of Three, and we'll be happy to send that out to anyone who calls and asks. Well, friends, we just want to remind you that these programs, after we broadcast them, they are archived on the Amazing Facts Facebook page. If you have enjoyed it, learned anything new, send the link to your friends. You'll see it also on the Doug Batchelor Facebook page. And to keep us in your prayers, remember we are a faith ministry. If you've been blessed, you can go to AmazingFacts.com. There's a little button called Donate, and that really means we love you. We'd appreciate hearing from you. God bless till next week. This broadcast is a previously recorded episode. If you'd like answers to your Bible-related questions on the air, please call us next Sunday between 7 p.m. and 8 p.m. Pacific Time. To take advantage of the offers you've heard on this broadcast, call us at 800-835-6747 or visit our website at amazingfacts.org. Tune in next time for more Bible Answers Live. Honest and accurate answers to your Bible questions. In six days, God created the heavens and the earth. For thousands of years, man has worshipped God on the seventh day of the week. Now, each week, millions of people worship on the first day. What happened? Why did God create a day of rest? Does it really matter what day we worship? Who is behind this great shift? Discover the truth behind God's law and how it was changed. Visit SabbathTruth.com. Would you like to know God's plan for our troubled world and solutions for your life's challenges? Beautifully redesigned and updated, Amazing Facts 27 Bible Study Guides provide straightforward Bible-based answers that are enlightening, encouraging, and easy to understand, giving you real relevant Bible answers to questions like, how can I have healthier relationships? When will Jesus come? And much more. Order yours today by visiting afbookstore.com or by calling 800-538-7275. Thank you for listening to today's broadcast. We hope you understand your Bible even better than before. Bible Answers Live is produced by Amazing Facts International, a faith-based ministry located in Granite Bay, California.